Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to everyone who has joined us in church this morning for the worship of our Triune God. We also extend a special welcome to all visitors who have joined us here in church this morning or who have also joined us via live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. May God be praised and glorified by our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. The Lord willing, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper next week Sunday in the morning service. Brother Dathan Plater has been called by the Free Reformed Church of Mount Nasura, as well as by Dunsville East Canadian Reformed Church. Please pray that the Lord may show him where he wishes him to serve. You are also reminded to continue praying for Reverend Poppy as he considers his current calls. With much thankfulness to our Heavenly Father, we can announce also that candidate Tim Slar has accepted the call to Southern River for the mission work in Port Moresby, PNG. This morning, the worship service will be led by Brother Reuben Zanman. And before we commence this worship service, let us sing together from Psalm 16, verse 1 and 3.
Please rise as we worship our God. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And we receive this greeting from our Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us respond to God's greeting by singing a psalm of praise to our God. Psalm 139, which is a psalm affirming God's presence in our world and in our lives. Let's sing verses 1 and 2. listen and submit our lives to the law of the Lord as we find it in Exodus 20. And in response to the reading of God's law, let's sing together from Psalm 37, the verses 1 and 12. Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbour's. now humble ourselves before God in prayer and ask him for a blessing over this worship service. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we praise you for you are the Lord of our lives. You know all things, you see all things, you are all powerful and eternal and your majesty and glory are awesome and beyond our comprehension. We thank you Father that you are a God of relationship, a God who desires to draw near to his people and who also draws us, your people, near to you. And we can see expression of that in our worship this morning. And we thank you, Lord, that we can call you Father, and that you are a good and perfect Father. 
We thank you, Lord, that at any time we can talk to you, that we can open our hearts, that we can share our thoughts, that we can praise and glorify you, that we can thank you for what you've done and we can ask you for what we need through our prayers. As we consider this morning the power of the tongue, we ask for your blessing over us in this hour of worship, that the gospel message may also be a blessing and that we can have a deeper appreciation of how rich we are and that we would be encouraged to better pursue a life of fellowship together with you and with our fellow believers. Father, please forgive us for our many sins and we ask that you would keep sin and distraction from us this morning. Please bless us in this hour of worship that we offer you and please grant that we would do so with sincerity and that our hearts would be filled with genuine gratitude and love for you. Please help us to give expression to that love through all the elements of our worship this morning, the songs that we sing, the gifts that we give and the prayers that we offer. Please do all this for Jesus' sake and it is in his name that we pray. Amen. This morning's sermon was prepared by Reverend Slomp, Emeritus Minister of Emmanuel Canadian Reformed Church in Edmonton, Alberta. And the sermon focuses on the power of the tongue and is based on God's word as we find it in James 3. But before we turn to our text there, there are also a number of supplementary readings to support our text, all of which we'll find in the book of Proverbs. Our first reading will be from Proverbs 18. And we'll read the verses 2 through 8. Proverbs 18, which is on page 641 of the Guest Bible. Proverbs 18, verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing his opinion. When wickedness comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonour comes disgrace. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. And then verse 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. And then to verse 19 to 21. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarrelling is like the bars of a castle. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. And then going to chapter 20, verses 19 and 20. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. And then chapter 21, verse 23. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. And then chapter 22, verses 6 and 11. Train up a child in the way he should go. 
and when he is old, he will not depart from it. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. And our final reading from Proverbs, we turn to Proverbs 26 and we'll read the verses 20 through 28. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarrelling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels, they go down into the inner parts of the body. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbours deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Thus far our scripture readings, let us take up our books of praise again and sing together now from Psalm 52 verses 1, 2 and 5, a psalm which warns in verses 1 and 2 of the evil of the misuse of the tongue and shows a beautiful contrast in verse 5 to those who walk with the Lord. Let's sing together.
The text for this morning's sermon is found in the book of James, James chapter 3, and we will read together James 3 verses 1 to 12, page 1200 in our guest Bible. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Thus far. After the reading of the sermon, we'll sing together from Psalm 15, and we will sing the verses 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the average person uses about 30,000 words per day. That's a lot of words. All of us speak enough words in a lifetime, in a a day, to fill a book. And if you multiply that by the days in our lifetime, we would be able to fill a good-sized library with the volumes of books written just by us. During a typical worship service, a minister will use between six and 8,000 words. And so each Sunday, a minister uses up a good part of his allotment per day just in two worship services. And when he conducts a worship service, these days the words are often recorded. Hundreds of people may listen to what he has to say. And so, during the worship services, he has to be very careful with the words that he uses. Before he speaks on the pulpit, he will have carefully thought about exactly what he is going to say and how he is going to say it. He spends a good part of the week preparing himself. But did you know that all of our words, day in and day out, are recorded as well? Do you know who does that recording? Well, the Lord God does. 
He keeps a record of each word that we speak. He bugs our conversations every day. He is always listening in and he holds us accountable for every word that we utter. The Lord Jesus himself made that very clear when he said in Matthew 12 verse 36, But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word spoken. Therefore, we must speak and act as though we are already facing Christ in judgment. However, the words we speak are not always wholesome words, are they? Just think about this morning before you came to church, especially when you have little children to get ready. You will possibly have spoken angry and unwise words, and it is possible that after the worship service, you get into the family car and you argue all the way home. That's the way it sometimes goes in families. What's the matter with us? Well, the matter with us is that we all have unruly tongues. James's words here in chapter 3 are just as fitting now as they were when he wrote them some 2,000 years ago. James speaks about the power of the tongue. With our tongues, we can accomplish a great deal. Through the spoken word, you can build up or you can tear down. You can accomplish great things with your tongue and you can also do a lot of damage with your tongue. It is a very powerful instrument and that is what the sermon is about this morning. We will look at the power of the tongue and we will see that it has the power to direct the course of life, to destroy the circle of life and to heal the source of life. Already earlier in his letter, James indicated that he was going to come to the subject of the tongue. He says back in chapter 1, verse 26, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. He also says in verse 19 that we must be quick to listen and slow to speak. The tongue is a very dangerous weapon. It needs to be used with extreme caution. It has to be handled with care. It is like a stick of dynamite. We had better not let it slip. And that's the way it is with the tongue. There's a proverb that says, Though feet should slip, ne'er let the tongue. Surprisingly, James begins by singling out a certain group. He begins by addressing the teachers in their midst. And when we think about teachers, then we think about those who teach in primary school or high school or maybe university. And then we also think about ministers and elders. But if that were the case, then most of us sitting in the pews would be let off the hook. This would then only apply to a few individuals in our church. However, that is not what James has in mind here. The scriptures consider us all to be teachers. Listen, for example, to the way the author of the letter of Hebrews addresses his readers. He says in Hebrews 5 verse 12, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. He expects all of his readers to be well enough equipped to be teachers. 
However, it is true that James especially has in mind those who have a prominent position as teacher in the church. James writes that not many of them should presume to be teachers. And it appears from this that many among his readers had that desire. They had a desire to teach others, and that is a noble desire. But to teach someone requires a certain skill. That is why it is a good thing that James earlier reminded the readers that you must be quick to listen. You can't be a good teacher if you are not a good listener first. If you want to bring others to faith, for example, then it is not just a matter of coming with all kinds of facts about what being a Christian is all about. No. First of all, you have to know where that person is coming from. What's going on in his or her life? Most people would have heard something about the Christian faith, but there are certain reasons they reject the Christian faith. What are those reasons? Are they misinformed? Or are they disappointed, perhaps, in the Christian people that they've met? What keeps them from coming to a saving knowledge of Christ? In order to find these things out, you first of all have to listen to them, to be in tune with them, and only then can you apply God's word to them. It needs to be applied to them within their own particular situation. The most important teaching we do is to our children. It says, as we read in Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Literally, it says, Train a child according to the demand of his way. And so a better translation would be, Train a child in accordance with his own unique circumstances. And when he is old, he will remain on the right track. In other words, find out what makes your child tick. Listen to him or her. Don't think that the way you bring up a child is by lecturing him or her. Don't overwhelm them with a torrent of words. Don't impose your personal likes and dislikes upon your child. Use your words wisely and make sure they apply. And then do that with everyone with whom you come into contact. And do it within the parameters of God's law. And that gives you an enormous amount of room. For God wants us to enjoy his creation to the fullest. And there are numerous ways in which we can do that. A teacher must be able to share God's truth. But, as we read in James 2 verse 26, faith without deeds is useless. A teacher will not be effective unless he also practices what he preaches. A parent can say one thing to a child and do something completely different, and that does an enormous amount of damage. James says that we all stumble in many ways, and he includes himself in this. He says that no one is perfect in that regard. We are all prone to slips of the tongue. Don't think that James is saying this because he wants to give us a way out. Well, we can't really help ourselves because that's the way we all are. We all slip once in a while. That's not what he means. What he means is that when we speak to others, we have to keep in mind that we are sinners just like they are. The word that he uses for stumbling literally means to sin or to transgress. Don't come to others 
with a superior attitude, as if we are better than they are, as if we know everything. No, we're a stumbler like everyone else. Therefore, choose your words carefully. Be kind and considerate. People do not respond very well to those who are smug and self-righteous. Such a person does not come across as an understanding person. But people do respond to kindness and gentleness. If you want to teach others, then you have to be humble about it. And this is a quality especially necessary for leaders and for teachers. James says that if anyone is never at fault in what he says, then he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check, in verse 2. And when James uses that word perfect, he actually is referring to maturity. And that's the theme that he develops throughout his whole letter. He urges his readers on to the maturity of faith. And when you are mature in speech, then you know what to say, how to say it, when to say it. You don't just say the first thing that comes to mind. You have a good sense of timing and of content. James uses some very good illustrations in order to make his point. He compares the tongue to a bit in the mouth of a horse and to the rudder of a ship. These two items are quite small and yet they exercise great power. With a bit you can control a horse and with a rudder you can control and steer a huge ship. And horses are often used as an example of power and that is why even today we speak about the horsepower of an engine. But a horse needs to be controlled. And the way you do that is by putting a bit into his mouth so that you can overcome the wild nature of the horse. And a rudder of the ship is only a small part of that ship. But you use it to control that large ship, to fight the winds and the currents that otherwise would threaten to drive the ship off course. There are also all kinds of things that threaten to drive us off course. Our old nature wants to control us and makes us do all kinds of sinful things. And that sinful nature needs to be controlled. And therefore, we have to learn to use our tongues in the right way. We have to learn to use it to steer others in the right direction. Brothers and sisters, and that includes you, boys and girls, never underestimate how you can direct the lives of others by the use of well-chosen and timely words. Think, for example of the way the Lord Jesus used his words and how he directed people's lives. He spoke words of healing to those who were down and out, the prostitutes and the sinners. He spoke, for example, to the woman at the well and her life was completely changed, as were the lives of her neighbours. He spoke kindly to her, in spite of the fact that she was a Samaritan, in spite of the fact that she was hated by the Jews. The very fact that he spoke kindly to her made her think. It made her think about the message of salvation that the Lord Jesus was bringing and it changed her life. You too have the power to change the lives of others. You have great power with your tongue. Do you want to direct the lives of your children and the lives of your loved ones? Do you want to be a positive influence on them so that they will direct their lives in the right way?
Then use your tongue wisely. Use it the way the Lord Jesus used it, by being kind and compassionate and forgiving, and yet by setting clear boundaries. Don't, however, use your tongue in a destructive way. And we come to our second point, to destroy the circle of life. In verse 6, James compares the tongue to a fire and states that the tongue sets the whole course of life on fire. When he speaks here about the course of life, he uses an expression that means the circle of life. James suggests that the various aspects of our lives are connected like spokes in a wheel. He is referring here to all aspects of human existence from beginning to end. And the point that James is making is that with your tongue, you can destroy someone's life. If a child grows up with nothing but criticism and harsh words, then he or she will have a very difficult time throughout his or her whole life. But if a child grows up with kind and encouraging words, then the opposite happens. Kind words are the building blocks of life. When God spoke, we came into existence. And these were words of love, for he created us in love. But don't think that your words do not have power like that as well. They do. If you want to give your children or your wife or your husband or your friends a good life, then you do that by the kinds of words that you speak. And if you want to destroy their life, then you also do that by the kinds of words that you speak. Words are extremely powerful. The town of Houston is a small community in northern British Columbia, set in a large valley in the midst of giant forests. Once there was a very large strip in the midst of the forest, close to town that was destroyed by fire. And when the fire was raging, the town of Houston was greatly endangered. It affected the people adversely. And they were reminded of that fire whenever they went up for a drive and came across a swathe of that great section blackened by the fire. That fire made quite an impact. People talked about it for years. It had the power to destroy large portions of the forest and almost destroyed that town of 4,000 people. That fire became known as the Swiss Fire because it was accidentally set by someone from Switzerland who was there on holiday. However, the Swiss embassy did not like the fact that this became known as the Swiss Fire. They did not want the reputation of Switzerland to be negatively affected by that name. One thoughtless moment by a single person created much havoc in a community and even threatened the reputation of a country. Well, says James, the same is true of the tongue. One thoughtless remark can destroy the circle of life. By making a thoughtless, hurtful remark to another person, you can interrupt his or her mental well-being for a lifetime. You can greatly alter another person's mood and ability to function. And that is especially the case if you are in a position of power or influence, a parent, a teacher, an elder, a deacon, a minister, or a good friend. Unkind words spoken behind a person's back are especially damaging. And let's face it, 
We are all very good gossips. We like to talk about other people. That's one of our favourite pastimes. The book of Proverbs reminds us that when we gossip, we add wood to the fire. For it says in Proverbs 26, verse 20, Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. When there is a fire, then often it is not the fire as such that does all the damage. No, you can have a small fire that can do great smoke damage. A fire spreads its misery around. As James says, it is hard to tame a wild animal. However, it is even harder to tame our tongue. As someone said, the most untamable thing in the world has its den behind our teeth. James speaks here about the tongue as a world of evil among the parts of the body. How true that is. Think about the wrong language that constantly flows out of our mouths. With our words, we express anger and bitterness. With our words, we express our wrong desires about the things we want in order to be fulfilled in our lives. Our words are often selfish and self-serving. Our tongues give expression to what lives in our heart. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 34. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our heart is the seat, the storehouse of our emotions and our desires. And the unsanctified heart is full of wrong desires and goals and ambitions. It is indeed a world of evil. James says that the tongue is itself set on fire by hell. And that's quite a strong statement. But look at what Satan did with his own words. He tempted Adam and Eve. He spoke lies to them. His words were full of venom. As the Lord Jesus said in John 8 verse 44, Satan is the father of lies and a murderer from the beginning. He killed with his tongue. The tongue is that powerful. But our tongues do not need to be set on fire by hell. Do you know how the tongues of the apostles were set on fire that first day of Pentecost? Their tongues were set on fire by the Holy Spirit. And that fire is a purifying fire. That fire from heaven burns away all the impurities that live inside of us and come out of us by way of our mouth. If our tongues are set on fire by the Holy Spirit, then it is a mighty tool in the service of the Lord. Then it is a mighty tool in the building up of the church, in the building up of families, in the building up of friendships and all kinds of relationships. But if the heart is filled with hatred, envy and bitterness, then Satan is the one who is lighting the fire. And then all we do is destroy. Our hearts, however, must be filled with love, the love of Christ, and we come to our third and our final point, to heal the source of life. <coughs> James says that the tongue is remarkably versatile. With the tongue we can praise our Lord and Father, and with it we can curse men, men who have been made in the image of God. 
From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. James compares the mouth to a spring of water. He says it is impossible that both fresh water and salt water come out of the same spring. The spring that produces fresh and wholesome water gives water that gives life. It gives life to vegetation and to animals and to man. This world cannot exist without fresh water. In other words, water is the soul of life. It is the life-giving source. And the same thing is true of the soul of a man. If the soul of a man is good and wholesome, then so is the life of that man. As the spring is the source of life, so the soul is the source of life. Proverbs 18 verse 4 says, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Water, however, can also do a lot of damage. Just think of floods. They bring death and destruction. And so it says in Proverbs 18 verse 21, The tongue has the power of life and the power of death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Cool water is refreshing, and so are well-chosen words. It was Paul's prayer to the Romans that he might come to them with joy and together with them be refreshed, Romans 15 verse 32. He also speaks about those fellow believers who have refreshed him with their words, kind and upbuilding and encouraging words can be so refreshing. They are the source of life. The words that you hear from the pulpit are also words of life. For these are not the words of a man, but the words of God. Every time God speaks to you, he's telling you that he loves you, that he graciously and mercifully forgives you your sins, and that he wants to dwell with you forever and ever. He wants to be near to you. That is, he wants to dwell in your heart. Those are wonderful words. Those are upbuilding words. Those are the words of eternal life. When the Lord Jesus spoke his words, it was always with the aim to bring others closer to their Father in heaven. And that is always what our aim should be as well. All our words must be chosen to direct others to the source of life, which is God. The tongue can be such a delightful instrument. And that is why James compares the tongue to a tree. Trees are essential for the life of the earth. They produce clean air, they hold down the soil, and they provide beauty and shade, and they bear fruit. And in Proverbs 10 verse 21 it says, The tongue of the righteous nourishes many. Brothers and sisters, let our tongues be instruments of nourishment, of healing, we all stumble in many ways, James says. Indeed, we are a bunch of stumbling fools. But it is, it is especially because of that that words can be so healing. When we do wrong, as we do all the time, then an apology goes a long way. We are very quick to criticise, but we are very slow to apologise, if we apologise at all. Wrong words, words leave festering wounds. But kind and humble words are like ointment on those wounds. Brothers and sisters, 
boys and girls, God has given us a wonderful tool. It's very powerful. Let's use it in the way that he intended for us to use it. It's not something we can do by our own power. We need God's help. And so pray. Pray every day that you may use your tongue for healing rather than wounding. As Paul says in Colossians 4 verse 6, Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He preceded that advice in verse 2 by saying, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. And it is only through prayer that the power of the Holy Spirit is available to us. Pray for a tongue set on fire by the Holy Spirit, and then God will bless you and make you a great blessing. Amen. prayer and our prayer this morning uh, will remember a couple of members of our congregation, uh, our brother Ben Scoof, who has not been able to worship with us for some time. We'll bring him before the Lord in prayer. And we'll also pray for our sister Liz Spanderman, who is uh, unwell and experiencing some discomfort. We'll bring her before the Lord as well. Our Lord God and Father, we come to you this morning And we were reminded again that our tongues are often used for evil. And that so often we have sinned against you because we have not expressed our love for you or our love for our neighbour in the way that we have spoken. There are times when we have used our tongue to praise you and to glorify your holy name. 
There are times we have used our tongue to express our love, our care and our concern for our neighbour. But Lord, we confess that there are other times, many times, that we have used our tongue to speak badly of people and to people. People who are made in your image, we have used it to destroy, to demean and to dishonour. And in all these things, we realise that we have no claim to perfection. We are not that perfect man, woman or child, but our tongue and what comes out of our mouths has shown, shown to us what lives naturally in our hearts. And so often we have shown our sin by the way that we have spoken and we've experienced something of these forest fires in our lives. We've experienced some of the damage and destruction that comes from the words that we have spoken. And we ask, Lord, that you would bring conviction into our hearts and then we would see that these things should not be this way as your word instructed us this morning. Lord, we pray that if inappropriate use of the tongue is something that we struggle with, that we would be brought to deep conviction and repentance over our sins. Help us to flee from it. Equip us by the enabling power of your spirit to seek to use our tongues wisely, to build one another up, to encourage, to praise, to exhort in love. We thank you, Father, for our Lord Jesus Christ, not only for his sacrifice on the cross through which we find redemption, but also that he modelled for us how to use our tongue, who never used his tongue inappropriately while living in the same bodies that we have, who experienced the same hardships that we do, even more so given his perfection and the offences committed against him. Lord, we pray for your renewing work in our lives, that more and more our lives would be sanctified and our speech too would be transformed, that we would be known as those who are loving and gracious, encouraging and helpful, upbuilding and edifying. Help us to display the fruits of the Spirit in our interactions with others. Father, we thank you for our church community for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray that you would continue to bless and preserve our church here in Southern River. And we know that some of our members have health concerns, some for quite a period of time now. And in that regard, we pray particularly this morning for our brother Ben Scoof. Lord, it has been some time since he has been able to worship with us. And we know that he would love to be here. He would love to be in your house, worshipping with us, your people. And we pray that he may do so again that you would grant him sufficient strength to be here with us once again. At the same time, we also pray for patience for him and ask that you would surround him with your spirit. We pray also for our sister Liz Spanderman, who had an episode this week in which she lost consciousness and required medical attention. We thank you that she could receive the care she needs, but we ask that you would continue to be with her as she's not able to be here this morning. We ask that you would surround her too, with your spirit. Father, we heard the news this morning that candidate Tim Slar accepted the call extended to him by us for the mission work in Papua New Guinea. Lord, what an answer to prayer, and we thank you that you have made your will known to him in this way. We pray, Lord, for the mission board as they make preparations and plans now to bring Tim and his family over to PNG. We pray that you would please Help them in this task and that you would equip them with everything that they need for this work. We pray, Lord, that you would please continue to bless the work in PNG and all those people involved in it. Father, we thank you that you care for us all and that you provide what we need at each season in our lives. Heavenly Father, as our time this morning draws to a close, we ask that you would forgive us our sin and keep us from sin the rest of this day. In our marriages, in our families, 
and in all the contexts in which we find ourselves. That we would always be gracious in our speech and in this way that we would show something of Christ to those around us. And we offer this prayer in his name. Amen. This morning the collection is for the Ministry of Mercy and after the taking of the collection let's rise and sing together from hymn 81 the verses 1, 2, 5 and 6.
Lift up your hearts to God, receive the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.